This week, we're talking about card games, poetry, and your responses to the burning question we asked last time. How do you complete the phrase, my doctor is? For September 19th, it's This Week in Time Travel. Chip, it's good to be hearing your voice. Hello, Alyssa. It's going to be a nice bite-sized, uh, sort of a Hershey's miniature or a, one of those special dark kind of episode. No, not special dark. This is going to be fun of this week <laughs> in time travel. Uh, short one. You're this, ready for Halloween already, aren't you? Uh, I, I would be. Uh, stupid pre-diabetes. Uh, <laughs> I'll take all of your sugar-free candies. Okay. Done. So we have a nice little interview with Andrew Looney from Looney Labs talking about the upcoming card game Doctor Who Flux. That'll be in a moment. Uh, But first, a quick roundup of the news. And there was actually a fair amount of it this past week, partly thanks to Russell T. Davies, who's doing the promotional tour for the new poetry compilation, Now We Are 600. Uh, The poems were written by James Goss, and Russell T. Davies supplied the illustrations for the book. And one of the delightful things we learned during this promotional tour is that Russell may have had a hint at what was to come for Doctor Who, because in one of the poems about the next doctor, the illustration appears to show a woman as the doctor. So uh, Russell may have had a hint about what was coming down the pike for us. Well, I do think he and Chibnall have each other's phone numbers. It's quite possible. There's probably like a secret handshake for showrunners and former showrunners of Doctor Who. Good news that the book wasn't released early or anything like that. That would have been fun. It would have just been like, you know, the Eighth Doctor movie novelization all over again. (laughs) Deep cut references. We like those. We like those. And, of course, he's been asked while they've been on the press tours what he thinks about the casting of Jodie Whittaker. And he thinks it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, One of the things I also found particularly interesting is that a few interviewers have asked him about, you know, What did you ever think about having a woman as the doctor? And surprisingly, Russell says he never even thought of it on his own, but that it feels particularly timely now that there is a good base of support for Jodie Whittaker's casting and people are rallying to her side. So a little surprising, but he's all in for it now. And that's what's important. There's been sort of a groundswell. It felt like sort of a tipping point around the time that Peter Capaldi was uh, ultimately cast, that people were ready for this, and it didn't seem as radical or as unthinkable a notion as it did just a few years before. Absolutely. Uh, So I think that's important to put into context that, you know, it definitely required some groundwork by fans uh, and by commentators to prepare the field for Jodie Whittaker, if you will, that we needed to pull together all that support and make a good, strong public showing of it. So that way we created a safe 
moment for this to happen. So that's encouraging, you know? This is this is where all of your participation and vocal support really matters for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we move on to anything else, I also have to, you know, slight spoiler for the poem, but not really because it's been all over the Doctor Who news if you've been on Twitter. But Russell T. Davies rewrote Harriet Jones's ending. Harriet Jones lives! Ugh, this is so awesome. That's like my least favorite part. Actually, no, there's a lot of least favorite parts in that story because it's hey, the story hey, where Donna gets hey, her memories hey, removed. Hey. But hey, Harriet Jones lives. That's retconned and I'm all for it. Uh, don't one, at me on Twitter. One question. Yes. I don't know who she is. <laughs> Harriet Jones, former prime minister. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Uh, Imagine me flipping my ID card in that moment, please. Of course, of course. One of the things that I love and simultaneously find a little odd, it's not really odd, but Russell is this well-established, supreme, you know, TV writer and producer. Doctor Who's in his past and he's done other great things. And now it's sort of like Doctor Who has become this thing that's fun for him to be involved with again. Uh, he's illustrating a fun book of poetry about Doctor Who. It's like you you take some time away and then you can allow yourself to be an alumnus and visit the campus again. I wonder if it's also that he didn't want to be seen as undermining Moffat. That's a tricky spot to be in as a former showrunner. If you're very vocal about... The immediate former showrunner. The immediate former showrunner. Because if you're really vocal during a time where your successor is trying to really, you know, put his mark on the show, then it'll get spun into, oh, it's Moffat versus Davies and, you know, it's showrunner battles and people could be even more, you know, annoying about the pitting Moffat and Russell against each other in all of your long and extended... Gallifrey-based archived forums. But, you know, I think that he's got a little space from it now. He's not the immediate former showrunner. And uh, he can come in and be like, yep, no, illustrating poems. Going to say, you know, what I think about the show and have a little more freedom to do that. Yeah. Anything else to say about this book? He said, leadingly. Yeah, there was a kind of really great moment I was very happy about. Uh, my friend David Puckridge, uh, so shout out to you, buddy. Thank you so much for doing this. He went to the signing in London, and he got a copy of the book signed, uh, and he's going to send it to me. And apparently he told Russell, this is for Alyssa, who writes the blog Hoovian Feminism, and Russell added a little heart to the signature. So excuse me, I'm done. I'm exiting fandom now. I have peaked. This is wonderful. I'm going to go lie down for like, you know, five years. (laughs) Alyssa Frankie, he knows who you are. Moving on to Christmas, uh, the BBC released the official synopsis for Twice Upon a Time, which I shall now read in dramatic fashion. Two doctors stranded in a forbidding snowscape, refusing to face regeneration, and a British army captain seemingly destined to die in the First World War, but taken from the trenches to play his part in the Doctor's story. This is the magical last chapter in the Twelfth Doctor's epic adventure. He must face his past to decide his future, and the Doctor will realize the resilience of humanity, discovering hope in his darkest frozen moment. It's the end of an era, but the Doctor's journey is only just beginning. BBC One, December 25th. You should really do trailer voices. You're good at that. In a world. No. Sorry. In other voiceover news, 
David Bradley is coming back to play the doctor for Big Finish. So, yay, more David Bradley as William Hartnell's doctor. Yeah, that has been in the works for some time, uh, apparently, if you uh, take a look at the Twitter accounts of the various writers involved. The entire TARDIS team of actors who portrayed the actors who portrayed the doctor, God, that was convoluted, the doctor and Susan and Ian and Barbara, they are now going to portray the characters directly on Big Finish, and that's kind of wild. They are not pretending to be the original actors. They are portraying the characters as written in the scripts, and it's just going to be a new interpretation of the four characters, which, if you watch the Twice Upon a Time trailer, you see that David Bradley doesn't exactly deliver the lines from the Tenth Planet the same way that... William Hartnell did. So it's going to be interesting, but I am glad that Big Finish is continuing to move in the direction of allowing these characters to exist separate from their original actors, especially as we're getting further and further away from when these actors were actually living. Yeah, it's one of those where I can understand that people have a lot of complicated feelings about it, because there's definitely some love for having the original actors involved with the big finished productions. And uh, many of them can and are still interested in being involved with doing those audio adventures. And, you know, it can be difficult to listen to a another person playing this character, but not trying to imitate them, you know, trying to reinvent them. And to be frank, you know, I don't have that same emotional connection to the first Doctor era, but they do have an actor in the third Doctor era who's really trying to recreate John Pertwee. And of course, he's different because he's a different actor. Um, But I don't know how I'd feel about seeing an entirely new cast come in to play this role that I'd fallen in love with. And yet, I know that's probably something that eventually will happen. You know, I eventually Katie Manning is probably going to say, you know what, now nah, let's put a pause on Big Finish audios for a time. I refuse to believe that Katie Manning is ever going to leave us. It's not allowed to happen. But uh, it's it's it'll be interesting to see. I like that they are trying to make new space for these stories with new actors and just really bring it into a new and interesting direction. Uh, so I think everyone just deep breaths, give yourself some space to emotionally process this however you need to. Um, and uh, I've got my fingers crossed for them. Uh, and good luck with bringing this new vision to life. Yeah. And there's a precedent. There are loads of precedents. Uh, I oh, mean, yeah. Uh, the obvious one being the five doctors with the casting of Richard Herdnell. But uh, Big Finish themselves, you know, even before Tim Trelore took on the role of the third doctor, Fraser Hines was doubling up as Jamie and the Second Doctor in a lot mm-hmm. of materials, and Big Finish has done tons and tons of Companion Chronicles and other past Doctor adventures for the First and Second Doctors that were done more in a um, audiobook format than a drama format. But yeah, I, th- I think the, I think the time is right. I really do. I do. I, and I, I entirely agree with you. I've seen some people been reluctant on Twitter because it's not just, you know, one of the other actors doubling up for a role or slotting in one actor for an actor who's unfortunately passed, uh, surrounded by the cast, but that they're bringing in a full new cast 
for it. So I, I think that's more what I'm responding to, that some people are a little nervous because this is still, even though there's precedent, a little bit something new and different for Big Finish. So I wish them the best of luck and, you know, hopefully everyone will see that this can be done very well. Yeah, I don't want to see the past doctors frozen in amber. The characters are the characters. This is true. The little card game and board games company that could, Looney Labs, just announced that they had won the license to do a Doctor Who version of their flagship card game, Flux. Chip had the chance to interview company co-founder Andrew Looney about what it took to bring Doctor Who Flux into the world. You just announced Doctor Who Flux, and we'll talk a little bit about what that game is, but I've seen in a couple of places, including on the GameWire video, that you've been trying to get the license to Doctor Who and to make a Doctor Who branded version of this, of your flagship game, for an awful long time. Yep, absolutely. In fact, uh, well, to put it in Doctor terms, I was working on it during the middle of the days of the 11th Doctor, and uh, so that gives you a little bit of sense that it's been a while. Wow. Um, For people who haven't heard of Looney Labs and Flux before, what kind of game is Flux? Well, Flux is a game about change. Flux means change. So it's a game that changes all the time. It's a game in which the rules change very quickly. How you win changes constantly. Uh, The stuff you have is going to be subject to change all the time. So every game is different. It's always exciting because you never know what's going to happen. And people just like it because it's you get to change the rules for the game as you're playing it. That's just... People seem to like that a lot. And it's a game that we've done a bunch of different versions of at this point, uh, all kinds of themes. And I, you know, one of the people, one of the most requested themes that people have been asking for is, of course, Doctor Who. And, you know, I've been a fan a long time. So I thought, well, that'd be great. And I cranked out a, a prototype design again years ago at this point. And then we've been playing the game of trying to get the licensing agreements, the rights in place. And it it did take a while. Thank you at all, any of the license-involved people who helped make it happen, because it uh, it was a bunch of work and a lot of agreements. But we're really, really excited to, to be able to finally bring out our Doctor Who Flux game, yeah. The rules change with basically every playing of a card. You, you have a hand of three cards, you draw one and play one. That's the extent of the rules. And as you play cards, the different rules change. Uh, right. But the the common theme around Flux is collecting items, like in your case with this game, doctors and uh, mm-hmm. props and things like that. Yep. So there's a lot of Doctor Who related art in this game. Well, there's a lot of stuff in the Doctor Who universe to sort of distill down. And that's one of the biggest challenges was, you know, how do you take 50 years of a franchise that's had so many different characters and stories and all that? And sort of sift it down into just really, I have about a couple of dozen top elements because I have a hundred cards in the game, and about a fourth of them then can be kind of the the items of of interest. And I wanted to have all of the doctors in there, so boom, right there, eleven, twelve now. Uh, not counting the war doctor who is going to sneak out as a promo card, mm. and not counting the uh, the new thirteenth doctor, of course, because. We just found out who she is. The game's already figured out. So to, to announce when it's coming, it'll be out appropriately enough November 23rd. It's oh, going to be our release date. Yeah, we're super excited about that. Just in time for Christmas. Literally, it's Thanksgiving Day, actually. So we'll be bringing that out. And it, it's just too soon for us to have have incorporated the new Doctor. But we'll be bringing her in uh, 
in the into the game next year as a promo card too. I'm sure. Mm. But I wanted to have all the all the main doctors because you know we all have our own favorite. And one of the things that's so great about Doctor Who is that it has such a long, rich history. I didn't want to just focus on the newer ones, which some games have done. And but that uses up a lot of the slots right away. And then you got to have a bunch of companions to go with the doctors. You got to have a bunch of his stuff. You got to have the TARDIS. You got to have the sonic screwdriver. You know, you got to have that scarf. And you got to have bad guys. You got to have Daleks. You got to have Weeping Angels, Cybermen. You got to have the Master. And and those are all the ones that, at that point, I'm like, I, I don't know that I can squeeze in much more than that. <laughs> so you've got like 100 cards, did you say? Yeah, 100 cards in the deck. And a lot of the 30 or 40 of those are just structural. Yeah, you got to have them in every game. The uh, the draw two, draw three, draw four kind of rules and the actions. But you know, I got about twenty five. I don't know have in front of me the exact count of how many there are in Doctor Who Flux because every Flux version is a little bit different. But there's typically around twenty twenty five keepers and creepers, and then maybe thirty or so goals. And then the rest are actions and new rules. And then your fellow players start playing the cards and trying to change the rules to their own benefit. And uh, at one, at, and until in the end, somebody has the victory conditions and they win and there's a great deal of anger and uh, frustration <laughs> oh, for, yeah. with everybody else. Well, that's the way the game... That's I think that's why it's so appealing because everybody... You, you don't know who's going to win until somebody suddenly does. And everybody else, you're typically right on the edge of putting together something that's going to win. So you'll be like, I was just about to win. And that leaves you in this feeling of, dang it, we're going to play again right now because I want to win now. And then the next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. You've been up playing all night. No offense to the brown coats out there, but <laughs> I believe Doctor Who is your biggest theme for Flux. I don't want to turn this into a business podcast, but uh, how, how hard was it to get the license? What's involved in a relatively small gaming company like yours basically giving... BBC Worldwide, the confidence that, hey, this is a good partner. Well, it was not easy, actually. Like I said, we've been trying for years, and we were re- turned down repeatedly several different times. We'd, we'd make a pitch. I, I remember sitting in a, uh, in a meeting at the Licensing Expo in the BBC booth where we had a, like a five-minute appointment with someone, and we were trying to, to convince him. And I, I, frankly, I remember the main thing he kept telling me was that I was talking too loud. I needed to to calm down a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we they weren't sold on it at that time. But finally, and frankly, it's like schmoozing and connections because we we worked out a deal with another company that publishes games. Uh, actually, it's it, it kind of, you mentioned the Brown Coats because they helped us in a lot of ways here because um, a company called Gale Force 9, actually, they do a lot of licensed properties. And we'd already been working with them on uh, Firefly Flux. They, they approached us to get the Firefly thing going. And after that worked, we were like, well, what else you got? What else can you help us happen? And, um, you know, long story short, there were a couple of different companies involved. and and uh, it, But it was really kind of uh, the guys at Gale Force 9 really kind of went to bat for us and convinced the BBC that they should let us make this game. And uh, so that's what's happening. And this will be showing up in bookstores and gaming stores all across the country then. Yep, we're pretty well distributed. We've got uh, games in, in all, our games are in game stores all across the country. Just ask at your local game store where the Flux games are, and they should be able to special order it for you if they don't already have it on the shelf. 
I was looking at your lineup of games and other games that might be of interest to Doctor Who fans. For your Anglophiles, you've got um, Monty Python Flux. You've also got a game that I have been playing for years that I've just got to toss out there because if you're into Doctor Who, you might really be into this one. And it's a card game called Chrononauts. Mm, Yes, yes. I'm very proud of that game. That's My time travel card game, yeah. That's a classic where you're playing with alternate timelines and breaking... it's a it's more complicated than flux which is more like a like a party game right yeah oh it's a lot more complicated than flux because it's got a lot of intricacies of of the causalities of time travel you go back in time and you change a historical event and then that ripples other events and it creates all these alternate realities and it was a lot of work thinking it through and i've only been able to do it a couple of times and in fact people have often asked well why didn't you do a chrononauts game about about doctor who and one is just that it's very difficult, as I say, to piece together these timelines. And really, the, the bigger point, though, is that Doctor Who does not really do that very much. You know, instead, he'll talk about how there are fixed points in time that can't be changed, which is very against the, the whole Chrononauts engine, which is about sort of changing events and then changing them back again. You know, he doesn't really do a lot of that kind of of uh, timey-wimey stuff, if you will. So <laughs> it, it, it really made more sense to, to, to go with the engine that works, that, that everybody knows how to play Flux real easily, jump right in and, uh, it, and focus on the doctors and the characters and the stories, because that really is what Doctor Who is all about. He really doesn't do an awful lot of genuine time travel. Like one of his big, you know, like really Blink is one of the, uh, the kind of standout episodes because of the intricate time travel story that that one tells, which kind of is different from most other other Doctor Who adventures, as you know. Andrew, you have been dropping moments of Doctor Who credibility here throughout this conversation. <laughs> this isn't just a license grab for you. You're familiar with oh, the no. property. Sure am. How have folks responded to the announcement? I don't think I've ever seen one of our product announcements get as much buzz as this one has. I mean, it's, we, we've gotten like a thousand shares on Facebook of, of people posting the article that we, you know, the little blurb that Kristen put up with just a, a snapshot of the proof sheet of the cards on the way to the printer. And it's so many people, you know, it's a classic, like, take my money kind of things. You know, <laughs> people are really excited about it. Obviously, I'm a fan of the franchise, but I'm also a fan of the card games, uh, and I have been playing them for years. So it's exciting to see uh, these two things uh, put together. Andrew Looney from Looney Labs, findable on the web at looneylabs.com. Uh, what about social? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, Andrew Looney at, uh, on uh, Twitter, and I'm on Facebook, and uh I should probably get on that Instagrammy thing, but I haven't done that one. <laughs> I only just figured out how to use that one myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, Twitter is the best place to find me. I also have a a, a blog at wonderland.com, and uh, I have a podcast of my own, too, the Download Podcast with Keith Baker. So there you go. Lots of places you can find me on the Internet. And Doctor Who Flux will be out on game store shelves on the anniversary of Doctor Who's founding on November 23rd. Thank yep. you so much. Thank you. This week on The Incomparable Network. Andy Anatko defends the genius of Ringo Starr, who actually was an excellent drummer, thank you very much, on Anthony Johnston's Unjustly Maligned. Batman University wraps up the summer course with a direct-to-video cartoon that went to theaters after all. Batman Mask of the Phantasm on TV. I was on that one. 
and Professor Syracuse's Anime Club convenes on The Incomparable to talk about the 1995 Miyazaki-written film, Whisper of the Heart. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. Alyssa, you and I had a great conversation last week about what it means to say, my doctor is, and then we asked our friends and total strangers out there on the internet to fill in that phrase for us. And we got some really great responses. Our friend Riley Silverman, a stand-up comic and frequent guest at Gallifrey One, wrote that her doctor is Peter Capaldi, her other doctor is Patrick Troughton, and in general, her doctor is trying, which I found just to be a perfect summation of the character, because no matter where he is or what he's doing, he's just trying his best. Well, was that trying as in always trying to do better or trying as in trying one's patience? Well, with doctors like Peter Capaldi and Patrick Troughton, I have more than enough gifs for a lifetime to pull ah. his companions pulling exasperated faces. But I don't think that's what Riley meant. <laughs> Riley, get back to us. Help us help us clear this up. I'm, I'm trying to think of a single doctor who didn't irritate a companion at one point or another. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think they were all universally moderately irritating. <laughs> I think we are, pro- we are possibly both right, but Riley, make one of us the winner, please. Uh, let's see here. There may have been a secret plug by the all-new Doctor Who Book Club podcast at ANDWBC Podcast on Twitter. They said, my doctor is bookish. And we did have some doctors who were very much into books and book learning. Whether they were reading them or using them as weapons, books are useful. Mm-hmm. And then we had a couple of interesting sort of, um, not they weren't delivered to us side by side, but I kind of put them side by side because they're almost contradictions. The aforementioned David Puckridge said that my doctor is charismatic. Which many doctors are incredibly charismatic, but then it's sort of contrasted by Drew Walco, who wrote, My doctor is an alien. He's enigmatic with experiences and a view of the universe that are beyond the comprehension of us mere humans. Ah, uh, and I, that is a common, common thing for people to say about my, you know, my doctor is an alien, my doctor is remote, that sort of thing. Uh, It is common, but it's not something that I am personally here for. Why is that, Chip? Maybe I'm just too caught up in old-fashioned television and old-fashioned storytelling, but I do want my lead characters to be approachable and not mysteries. I can't easily deal with Doctor Who when the Doctor becomes this sort of abstract figure some of the bidmead episodes uh, the bidmead led episodes the season 18 stuff which a lot of people really like because it was sciency and remote and the doctor was doer and otherly and things like that that just doesn't do it for me i don't mind a little alienness and a little enigmaticness as long as people don't confuse those with traits that we commonly find in the human population Mm -hmm. we talked about that a little bit last time yep i think that i like a doctor that sometimes reveals there's something more about him you know i think 
the doctor's longevity and sort of the way that he makes himself a little bit more remote to protect himself um, can be one of the ways in which alienness is done very well. Uh, I think one of my favorite examples of that is School Reunion, where the doctor has to confront Rose and Sarah Jane and really some of the uncomfortable ways that he lives his life because simply the fact that he is an alien who lives longer than these people that he loves makes it hard for him to really maintain relationships with humans the way humans want him to. Uh, I thought that was a really well done exploration of that because it didn't entirely excuse the doctor's behavior, but it made an attempt at showing where he was coming from, which I appreciated. Right. And he... And he remained relatable, even as he sort of made the point, you know, drove the point home to Rose that he is an other. He is he is different and it can't just be he he just can't relate to her exactly the same way that she might be thinking uh, that that is such a powerful line. You can spend the rest of your life with me, but I can't spend the rest of my life with you. That's a powerful thing. And mm-hmm. yet and yet he still seems, if not human relatable. Exactly. Because it's such a very human and selfish thing to do. Yeah. I just don't think that, and maybe season eight was an example of just sort of pushing it as far as you can go with uh, Grumpy Capaldi, is that he wasn't alien so much as brusque and questioning and sort of having a midlife crisis at age 2000. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he was he was as remote as the doctor has been in a very, very long time. And in the end, they just had to bring him back a little bit. Yeah. And I think that they did a really good job of showing, you know, that the doctor's behavior, be it what it may, is not always an excuse for his actions. Um, I really liked the scenes with the note cards that Clara prepared for him because it's an acknowledgement of even if he does not always understand what the us mere mortals are thinking and feeling in a moment, um, if he's, whether he's just lost the perspective of that or whether he genuinely can't read the emotional cues. Clara's saying, it's not okay for you to be rude to these people. It's not okay for you to dismiss or ignore their pain. You need to show some awareness of that and you need to put in a little bit of emotional energy in trying to not be rude and hurt people, uh, which I thought was a wonderful exploration of how we manage uh, remoter feelings while also acknowledging that you can't hurt people intentionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looking at the other side of our false dichotomy that we've created here, David's statement that my doctor is charismatic, uh, that has never been a 100% constant in Doctor Who. And there are also people's different definitions of charisma. Uh, Which we got into a little bit last time. Yeah. Uh, There are some people who find David Tennant's doctor endlessly charismatic and others who find him endlessly annoying. One person's humor is another person's nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I do think that there's got to be at least a minimal level of charisma We've got to like the character enough to come back and see him every week. 
Yep. And, you know, one of the brilliant things about having so many different actors to play the doctor is that you can get endless variations of charisma. And even if one doctor doesn't appeal to you, another doctor will. And so you'll always find that character that can you can connect with on their level. We never have these arguments about Star Trek, you know, there uh, in terms of there, there's only one Captain Picard, you know? Yep, that is true. But I'll be over here with Captain Janeway and my cup of coffee. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Saving the universe. Thank you all so much for joining us on This Week in Time Travel. You can find us on the web at thisweekintimetravel.com. We are on The Incomparable Network as well at theincomparable.com, where you can support us and the other shows on the network if you like by becoming a member at theincomparable.com slash members. Our podcast is on Twitter at DRWhoThisWeek. I'm on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord, and Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. And yes, we are on Facebook as well. Just look for This Week in Time Travel. You'll find us. Our theme music is by Christopher Breen, and our podcast logo was designed by David J. Lohr. Thanks for joining us for This Week in Time Travel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>